So if you're just not joining us online, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and grow in his image. We are glad that you're choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, We're starting a new uh, series this morning, and it's called Supernatural. And uh, it's based off of a study that uh, Reverend Carolyn Moore prepared. I met Carolyn about eight or ten years ago, I think. Uh, at one of the first New Room conferences I went to. And, and Carolyn uh, leads Mosaic Church in Georgia. And she was telling us about her congregation. And Mosaic Church's mission, basically, is to share Christ with all of those people that most of the rest of us would not welcome into our churches. They have a powerful ministry to ex-prostitutes, to former drug addicts and alcoholics, and to ex-offenders. And so this is, this is the congregation that she engaged with. And as she came, uh, she was there with uh, some of her members of her church who had later come on staff and were working with her, as well as some other members of the church. And they were telling their story to us. And I listened as they talked about the way in which uh, God had transformed their lives, the new beginning that they had found in life and the power of that transformation. Uh, and it was, it was a stunning uh, kind of thing to sit and listen to the way God was moving and acting in the midst of this congregation, uh, totally transforming people's lives and the power of that. Uh, and, and I was struck that uh, they were doing the things that we talk about in church, but they were actually doing things. Those things were happening in the midst of their congregation. And as we, we went through there, I was um, also struck by Carolyn's um, humility, uh, by her authenticity, uh, by her honesty in all of this, and you know the struggles with it as well as the, the amazing things that were happening. Uh, and, and the fact that she constantly brought us back and said, you know, this is, this is not what I'm doing. This is not what, what we, you know, are, are doing. This is what God is doing in the midst of us. And so this morning, and we're going to uh, start working on uh, this study on uh, supernatural as we move into it. And uh, I'm going to have you read with me as we begin uh, a passage from Philippians uh, that I had you read when we were doing the study on Philippians. So I want you to read this with me. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, some of you, when I say that word supernatural, you immediately are going to Harry Potter, um, you know, magical stuff and all that. So I just want you to kind of set that aside for a while as we talk this morning. Uh, And and I want you to think about what you just read in these words, that this is kind of the ground rock hope, uh, you know, uh, of the Christian faith that, you know, we might become like Christ, even if that means we become like him in his sufferings and in his death, so that we are also like him in being raised from the dead. And I want to propose to you that that in and of itself is a supernatural hope. I mean, I, I, I don't know which one of you, if anybody feels like they can do this, if any of you feel like, you know, on your own, you can be like Jesus. If you feel like on your own, you can choose to, to walk with him in the kind of sufferings he endured. If on your own, you think you can raise yourself from the dead. Anybody? So I want, I want you to hear that, that when we use that word supernatural, before we even get into this, that, that the basic ground hope of the Christian faith 
is in and of itself a supernatural hope. Let's pray. Almighty God, come and pour your spirit out upon us this morning. Illumine our hearts and our minds and spirits that we may be opened up to hear what it is you want to say to us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now that word supernatural, I mean, like I said, in our culture, it tends to mean kind of magical or kind of woo you know, kind of stuff and all that. So I, I want you to hear that. That really is not necessarily what it means. Uh, Merriam-Webster talks about it as uh, of or relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. Now, <clears throat> you know, just, just thinking of that, you know, you probably already are familiar with some things that are supernatural, like, uh, you know, the, the love between a husband and wife or the love between two really good friends uh, is something that goes beyond the visible, measurable universe. Uh, I mean, that, that's something we take for granted every day, and yet it would fit this description. And I want you to hear that, that supernatural is not the same thing as unnatural. It's not opposed to nature, but rather it is more than. So if you go to uh, one of the uh, well-known fast food places, uh, and I'm no names here, but, and you have them supersize your order, you don't have to confess if you've ever done that and you had them supersize your order, you're not going to get something different from what you ordered, right? You're just going to get more of it because that's what super means, you know, more, more of, beyond. And so when we talk about supernatural, we're not talking about something opposed to nature, but we're something about more than, something that goes beyond. The power of God that is beyond all that is, that, that breathes life into everything that is, that sustains all that is, in and of itself, that is supernatural. And, and what Carolyn's quest in this book is to have us explore what does it mean, what does it mean for us to live in the power and the presence of the kingdom of God, even in this life, even in this life. So I'm going to start by reminding you that when, uh, when Jesus begins his ministry, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. They have him read the scroll that day, the, the Torah that day. And, and he unrolls the scroll, and he goes to, actually goes to the prophet Isaiah. This is from the 61st chapter of Isaiah. And he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll up and he handed it back and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, this is part of Jesus' understanding of what he was about. This is what he came to do. This is what he is commissioned to do, if you will. Uh, this, the spirit is in him. The, the spirit is moving in him. Proclaim freedom for prisoners, whether that's a, a physical prison or whether it's a spiritual prison. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set the oppressed free. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is what he is saying to the people that are there in that synagogue. And, and a few chapters later, he is going to commission his own disciples and send them out. Now, and uh, in the in-between time, they will have watched him doing some of these great works. And they're going to be stunned and amazed at that, that, see what he does. And then he's going to turn to them at the beginning of the ninth chapter, calls them together. And when he had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
This is his commission. He gives him power and authority. Drive out demons, cure diseases, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God. And nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus withdraw this commission to his disciples. This is, to this day, still part of our commissioning. Now, now I want you to notice when he sends them out, he hasn't had any classes on this, you know, hadn't had any classes on how to do exorcisms or, or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, there's been no rehearsals of any of this. There's no easy methodology. You know, there's no, uh, you know, five easy ways to share the good news of the kingdom of God uh, kind of thing. I mean, he's not done anything like this. They've walked along beside him and watched what he does. And then he says, I'm now giving you the power and authority to do what I've been doing. And that's what he sends them out to do. And like I said, to this day, <laughs> to this day, that is still, that is still what he sends us out to do. But he sends us out to do it not on our power and authority, but on his power and authority. On his power and authority. And that's so important. I mean, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, at the beginning of the, of the chapter, uh, as the disciples are, are gathering, this is post-resurrection, he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now he's told them to wait for this event uh, and not to do anything until this happens. But at this point he says, you'll receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be my witness. It is only with the power and the authority of God's life in us that we are able to be God's witnesses. If we don't have that power and authority, we're just people talking in the wind. It, it, it's the power and the authority of God speaking through us, speaking in us that changes, that changes what happens. Now, all through Scripture, this is a theme that runs all through it, that God's people are empowered by God's presence, and it is God's presence working through them that speaks to the world around them. It's not just that they're good people, and it's not that they have good plans, and it's not that they're smarter than everybody else or they figured anything out. It's that God is with them. And that goes even back into the Old Testament, if you're not aware. I mean, it goes back in the Old Testament. In Exodus, <clears throat> there is this story um, where, where God says to Moses, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Now, I want you to hear that's actually a word of grace from God to Moses, because God's people have seen all these great works that God led them out of Egypt, you know, the, the plagues and then the dividing of the sea and all those kinds of things that God did to bring them out of Egypt. And then they've gotten out there in the desert, and they said, well, what you do, bring us out here so we can die out here in the desert? I mean, every time God turns around, the people are rebelling against him. And so he says, listen, Moses, I'm going to keep my promise to you. I told you that there's this land of milk and honey. I'm going to keep that promise to you. You take the people and you go there. But I'm not going to go with you because I'm so ticked off with these people right now that I might just wipe them out. There's a great restraint on God's part to understand his own anger and, and to pull himself back. And say, no, no, for all you parents, right, when your kids are doing things and you just really, you know, you just want, really want to wring their neck at the moment and you kind of have to pull, step back and go, no, 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 this is not the time to, to engage in discipline, right? Because I'm, I'm just too angry right now. God, God pulls himself back and says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep my promise to you, 
but I'm afraid of my own actions, so I'm going to pull myself back. And it's interesting the way this conversation continues as Moses talks back to him. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, one of the things I love about the Old Testament is people argue with God. You know, I mean, people argue with God. People get angry with God. For some reason, we've decided we can't do that anymore. I'm telling you, God is big enough. God can take it. You know, you're not going to tell God anything that God can't handle. And things happen in life when we get upset about it and we're concerned. And what we tend to do is just kind of withdraw and say, well, God doesn't love me anymore. In the Old Testament, they go back to God and they say, hey, what are you doing? This isn't what you promised me. I mean, they argue with him. And, and it's in that conversation with God oftentimes that God's truth comes out. So I want you to hear it. It's okay to argue with God. It's okay even to be angry with God at times. God can handle that. But sometimes in your prayer, if you open up and you share that, that's when you actually begin to hear the truth of what God is saying. So Moses goes, remember, this is your people, you know. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. I love this. Don't, 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 send us, don't send us up without your presence with us, because without your presence, we're no different from anybody else. How will anyone know that we are God's people unless your presence is with us? I mean, Moses understands that what sets them apart is the presence of God with them. Not that they're smarter than anybody, not that they're better than anybody else, not that they have better plans than anybody else. What sets them apart is the presence of God with them. I think so often the, 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 the reason that Christianity, especially in the U.S., is, is declining is that we have decided that it's really all about us, and it's really all about our plans, and it's all about what we know, and we haven't invited God into that. And so we're just another group of people out there talking in the wind. What makes us different is the presence of God with us. They sang a, a song at a 930, and the band did for the offertory. It's a song It's on the radio right now. It's called Nobody. And the, the chorus, you know, kind of hook line in it is, you know, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul. Uh, if you haven't heard, it's, it's really great because in there he talks about the way in which God takes people that you and I probably would not have picked and does amazing things through them. And so he says, you know, so, you know, here I am at the, you know, the guy that's always at the end of the line, the last one that's chosen for the football team, all those kinds of things. You know, that's who I am. And yet God has, has chosen to do things through me. So when the devil comes and says, who do you think you are? I'm just going to say, well, I'm, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul. I just love that line. I mean, that's what Moses said. Moses says, you know, God, without you, we're just nobodies. But with you, we're nobodies 
who have something to share with everybody. That's what this is about, this whole idea of, of this supernatural experience of inviting the life of God into our lives and in the midst of us in powerful ways that sets us apart from the people around us, that is the mark of God's presence with us. And it makes all the difference. C.S. Lewis <clears throat> has a famous quote where he says, Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You know, if you aim at heaven and all that God is and you're in the presence of God with all that God is, then everything else takes care of itself. All the things we worry about, all of those things take care of themselves. But if you get stuck in dealing with all of those things in the end, not only will you lose those, but you lose heaven itself. To be a follower of Christ is to walk in the power of God's Spirit. I want, let me take you back here to, to Luke 9. So, so he's going to send, send them out, right? When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, cure diseases, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. That's pretty tough, right? Whatever house, whatever house you enter in, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave that, their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, what you notice, he, he just sends them out. Not only has he not done any training with them, he says, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money with you. Don't, don't, don't pack a bag. Don't take any clothes. Don't take any extra food. Don't do anything. You just, you just are going to walk out that door and head out. Because he wants them to fully and completely and totally lean on the power and the presence of God to provide for themselves. Not simply in, in, in spiritual ways, but in all of the ways of their lives. You know, we, we grew up in South Texas, you know, and you, know, you go on a journey in South Texas in this heat and all that, and you don't take an extra shirt, you might wonder about, well, in, in a day or two, are people even going to want to get close to me, you know? I mean, it's kind of that way. But, but here he's going, don't know. You don't take anything. Don't worry about anything. Go with nothing. You have to totally and completely lean into the power and the presence of God. Not only for what you're going to do, but for your very survival. Everything. It's a complete, total reliance upon God. And you notice he says, shake the dust off your feet. But that last line doesn't indicate to us that they left any village doing that, does it? They went from village to village. And they were sharing the good news and healing people everywhere. Not because they were so well prepared. Not because they'd been trained so well but because the presence of God was so powerful in them. So, so Jesus does this teaching where he commissions them to go out, and this is, this is the call that he places on our lives, and we tend to want to pull that back so often and try to make it our own instead of releasing it into God's hands and inviting God to be in the midst of us. And maybe that's why it's so hard for us to be the people of God in this day and age. So, so later, as people are seeing all these amazing things that Jesus is doing, uh, and, and they're walking along the road, a man comes up to him and says, 
I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now let me unpack that a little bit for you. I mean, first off, he's just reminding them, you know, to be a follower of Jesus is to realize you're not going to have a home necessarily in the way everybody else does, you know, because now your emphasis is going to be on following Jesus instead of building your nest up, you know, where you're going to land. And when he does this thing about, you know, let the dead bury their own dead, I mean, the man says, let me go bury my father. Nowhere in there do we get told that the man's father has actually already died. If you, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed that, but we don't know that the guy's father is dead, do we? Really what the man is saying is, I'm taking care of my old man, so when, when I'm done with that and, and he's gone, then I'll come and be your follower. He's delaying like we often do, right? I'll teach the Bible study once I understand Scripture completely. Good luck with that. I'll, 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 I'll work with the kids once my kids are grown. No, we probably won't. I mean, you know, we always have those excuses we bring up about why we can't do it right now. That's what Jesus is dealing with, our, our excuses. And then this other one, I'll, I'll follow you, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family and that no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. You have to be totally focused on Jesus. Now, I know a lot of you are not uh, people that do agriculture stuff, but you know, if you've ever done any kind of plowing or harvesting or everything, you know, it's, it's really important to pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, when my cousin and I were young, uh, my uncle would let us run the combine every so often in the rice field to harvest rice. And we were young enough that one of us would have to work the throttle and so forth, and the other one would have to steer because neither one of us was big enough to reach both things at once. And, and, you know, I still kind of wonder about my uncle letting us do that. You know, how wise was that really? Uh, you know, this expensive piece of machinery out there in that field. But, you know, we, we, we'd go and we'd run that harvester through the field, that combine, and we'd run it, and, you know, our line would be kind of like this, right? And once we got down to the other end, he'd say, okay, that's enough, boys. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, because now they're going to have to go and somebody's going to have to go behind us and straighten everything out so that they are sure that they actually get all the rice out of the field. When you're plowing, it's important for you to keep your focus or else you don't make straight lines. When you're harvesting, it's important to keep, or you don't make straight lines. It's ineffective. And what Jesus is saying is you have to be focused solely on Jesus to do this. You can't be looking back. You can't be thinking about other things. You have to be focused on Jesus. To be a follower is to be completely focused on Jesus, completely immersed in the life of God and moving forward with that. And that's what he calls the disciples to do. Be completely immersed, focused on him, immersed in the power and the life of God. A number of years back, there was a... uh, company, an upstart shoe company that began, and they decided they were going to make the best athletic shoes around. They were going to be a new company. They were going to build better athletic shoes than anybody else. And so they went through all kinds of iterations about, well, what's our label going to be and our logo and so forth, and talked about this. And they finally decided that they would go with the name Nike. 
Now, those of you who know your history know Nike is the Greek goddess of victory and, and comes to bring news of victory and has wings to bring on her feet to bring these news. So Nike is, is the, 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 be the, the symbol of the shoe to reference, you know, this is the goddess of victory. And the swoosh at the bottom of the symbol actually was originally a wing uh, in, the, in the first round of symbols. And so it got streamlined down to this. So they got their, their name, they got their logo down and everything, and then they said, what can we use for an ad campaign? We need an ad campaign to really get this out to people. And they played with different themes and worked on this and worked on that, and they finally came up with a very simple three-word ad campaign. Just do it. Just do it, right? That really is kind of what Jesus is saying to his disciples just, just do it. Fasten your eyes on me. Accept the power and the authority I give you. And then just do it. In the Acts of the Apostles, there's a story. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It's about three in the afternoon. Now, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter... He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Because remember, he's asking everybody that goes through. And Peter says, no, no, I want your attention. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them, something financial. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, Peter had had no training in healing. <laughs> he'd had no training in how to do I mean, you know, he just, he's just doing what God told him. But he's connected enough to God to know what to do. There's no hesitation. I don't have money I can give you. But what I can share with you is the very life of God that has given us in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he just reaches down and takes the guy's hand. I don't know about you, but if I, you know, if I had saw that and, and, and I had the inkling that maybe I should do that, I'd be worried, wouldn't you? What if I take the guy's hand and he stands up and then he collapses? You know, I mean, how, do, how does Peter know that? Because the gifts of healing in the scripture are not always this kind of miraculous stuff. Remember, God's healing sometimes is slow and, and looks very ordinary. But in this moment, somehow Peter knows that this is what God wants him to do. Because his eyes are focused on Jesus. And the life of God is alive in him. And he knows what to do. So, as we move through the summer, we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to live in the power of the presence of the kingdom of God. And it's going to be sometimes in very ordinary kinds of things that we do. What does it mean to have the power of the presence of God in ordinary stuff we do, as well as in the extraordinary kind of things that happen? 
but to have God present in, in all of what we do and have our eyes focused on Christ as we move forward. And there's some questions I'm just going to leave you with this morning. Uh, how, how comfortable are you with this idea when I talk about that supernatural ministry? Remember, separating that out from the Harry Potter stuff, you know. How comfortable are you with the idea of supernatural ministry? And does the idea that Jesus is with us in all of this increase your level of comfort? Do you or, or have you ever settled for earth instead of aiming for heaven? Yeah, I know I'm getting personal now. And how would your personal ministry change if you understood yourself to be in partnership with Jesus in the work of exposing the kingdom of God on earth? I mean, how would it look if you understood that this is what I'm about? I'm partnering with Jesus Christ to expose the kingdom of God on earth. And what would that be like in your life? We're going to walk through this this summer and just ask those questions. And on occasion, Carolyn's going to ask you to try a few things. And uh, uh, I'll trust you to, to know uh, whether you're ready to do that or not. And there's also a study that's going to be happening on Monday nights with this. And you can find that inform information on the website. Uh, and uh, that is being led by uh, a couple of the women in the church. So uh, I invite you to, to uh, uh, come to that. And if you're uh, wanting to delve more deeply, uh, join them on Monday nights for that lesson time and that discussion time. Let's be in prayer. Mighty God, here we are at the beginning of the summer months. And as we go into this, wondering what this is all going to look like, we, we know... <laughs> We know that when we go out without your presence, um, we are not able to be the disciples you call us to be. So this morning we ask you, don't, don't send us forth from here this morning uh, uh, unless you go with us. Because it is your presence with us that distinguishes us from everyone else. It is not who we are, but it is who you are. It is who you are that brings the good news to the world. Remind us that we really are just, just nobodies who are trying to tell everybody about you and the way that you have changed our lives and changed the world. So come and let your presence rest upon us. Remind us, remind us that we are in partnership with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.